Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 45 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time we have the first episode of a top-notch syndicated thriller. It's Murder at Midnight, starring Barry Kroger in The Dead Hand. This was a series of half-hour thrillers that ranged from whodunits to supernatural terrors. And the premise was that the climax of each episode always occurred right around the witching hour of 12 midnight. There are several interesting aspects of this series. It was the first of several programs produced by radio packager Lewis Cohen for his new firm, founded in 1946, following the end of World War II. Cohen decided to stay in Manhattan after the war in which he had served as chief of the New York Office of the Overseas Branch of the Office of War Information. And prior to the war, Cohen had been a successful ballroom promoter and later radio producer in Chicago. In 1940, he conceived one of radio's iconic programs, The Quiz Kids, which was on radio for some 15 years. And also made the transition to television, but it wasn't as popular as the radio show. Following the war, Cohen knew there was money to be made in packaging radio shows that could be recorded and distributed via syndication. In previous podcasts, we focused on the network shows such as Burns and Allen and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and only presented a few syndicated programs. These included Stay Tuned for Terror and two shows distributed by Frederick Ziv, Bold Venture, and I Was a Communist for the FBI. In creating Murder at Midnight, Cohen assigned Anton M. Leader as director. Radio fans will know Leader from his later work on Suspense, but prior to that, he directed Murder at Midnight and several other shows. Anton M. Leader started his radio career during the 1930s at station WMCA in New York and then moved to the independent firm Robert White Productions. In 1941, he joined NBC, where he was at the helm of several shows, including Words at War and Home is Where You Make It. After four years at NBC, Leader became a freelance director on You Make the News and Radio Reader's Digest. One of the hallmarks of Murder at Midnight is the eerie theme and bridge music composed and played by organist Charles Paul. He was one of the most prominent musicians in radio at that time. Billboard magazine reported that Paul was making around $75,000 a year. That's well over a million dollars in today's money. Paul performed on numerous daytime serials such as As the Twig is Bent and Road of Life. And also primetime dramas including Mr. and Mrs. North and Inner 
Sanctum. Speaking of that show, Lisa, Robert Newman, who wrote many scripts for Inner Sanctum, wrote today's Murder at Midnight episode. And we have an interesting story regarding the creepy, deep-voiced announcer. More about that later. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first thrilling installment of Murder at Midnight. It's called The Dead Hand, as originally recorded in New York, April 19, 1946. Murder at midnight. Oh, wait, come back here. Wait, nothing. I said you were nuts, crazy. And no, no, don't. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry, but I had to have it. I'm going to have it. And once you're dead, you'll never miss it. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest. Our fears the strongest. And our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight. When the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Dead Hand. Murder at Midnight. Tales of terror and retribution by one of radio's best-known mystery writers, Robert Newman. Its title, The Dead Hand. A small studio cottage on Dr. Martin Trent's estate. Seated at the piano... Alone in the gathering darkness is Roger Blaine, the famous pianist, and playing as only he can play. Can't you hear me, Lorna? You must hear me. You must come here now to me. I'm calling you, Lorna. Calling to you in a way you could never resist. With my music. Making your heart beat faster. Your breath come quicker. Lorna. Hello, Roger. Am I disturbing you? Always, Lorna. Just as I disturb you. As we disturbed each other since the first time we met. Martin's out at the hospital, and I heard you playing, so... That's not why you came, Lorna. You came because I called you. Because you promised you'd come and give me your answer. What we talked about last night, my going away with you? Roger, I I must have been mad. I I don't know what got into me. Don't you, Lorna? This is what got into you. My music. Telling you things I never could tell you in words. Roger, stop. I I can't think when you play like that. I, I can't leave him. He's my husband. I love him, respect him. Can you love a surgical instrument? Can you compare what you feel towards him with what you feel to... 
now, this minute. No. No, it is different. Roger, how can we? He's your friend. It was he that brought you here, gave you the cottage. And haven't I given him anything? Music like this. Music such as no one has ever heard before. Roger, I... Lorna, listen to me. To what I'm saying here. I love you. I need you. It was you who helped me find depths within myself I never knew existed. You've got no. to come away with me. You owe it to me, to yourself, to the world. Roger, you please. Want to. You know you want to. And you're going to. Roger, no, I, I, going I can't. To. I tell you, you I... Are. talk to Martin when he gets home tonight. Tell him. I, I think he'll No, Lorna, there'll be no talking, no explaining. My car's outside and we're leaving right now. The music, my music, was still with me as we drove out through the gates, down the highway, pulsing, throbbing. Yes, I could hear it, but could Lorna? I glanced at her sitting there beside me. Happy, dearest? What? I, I don't know, Roger. You don't know? Don't you realize what this means, Lorna? I'm playing better than I ever played before, and this is only the beginning. After my New York concert, South America, then Europe. Roger, are you sure you love me? Me, as a person? My sure... Well, what do you mean, Lorna? I know you've said you do, but whenever you've talked about it, Roger, ab about us, you've talked in terms of your music. Roger, are you sure that's not what you love? Well, of course I'm sure. If I didn't have my music, if I couldn't play, I don't... I think I could live, but I it was know. you. You who lifted me to heights I never dreamed of, technically, emotionally. Roger, stop the car, turn around, take me back. What? Take me back. I don't understand. I do, for the first time. With Martin away so much, I was lonely, flattered by your attention. And your music was like a drug, keeping me from thinking. But now I can think. And I know you don't love me, and I don't love you, so... Please, Roger, take me back. No. But, Roger, can't you see? This whole thing was a mistake. It was I not don't... a mistake. And I won't take you back. Well, I'm going back, whether you take me or not. And if you won't stop the car, Laura, I... no. Let go of that brake. Let go of that That ditch. Look out. We're going to... When I opened my eyes, I was in a bare white room in a hospital. Standing next to the bed, Lorna and Martin... Hello, Roger. How are you feeling? Well, I... I don't know. What happened? You were out driving with Lorna. The car got out of control and you had a smash-up. They rushed you here to the hospital and... Smash well, you've up. been here for two days. Smash-up? Yes, I remember. Are you all right, Lorna? Yes, Roger. I was shaken up. Cut oh. a little bit. Oh, my hand hurts. Especially the fingers... Nothing happened to it, did it, Martin? I, I've got a concert in a few weeks, you know. Roger, it's... don't stop it. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, I... Don't worry about it, Roger. Not now. Well, I've got to know. I've got to see... Roger, please! Martin, 
What did you do to me? Roger, I think you know how I feel about you, about your music. You've got to believe me when I tell you there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. It was your hand or your life. My life? And what is my life without my music? Nothing. Worse than nothing. A living death. Why didn't you let me die? Don't say that, Roger. We'll do anything we can. There must be something. Something? There's just one thing. You've got to get me another hand. We will, Roger. There have been some wonderful developments in prosthetics as a result of the war. I don't mean an artificial hand. I mean a real hand. What? Roger, you're mad. No, no, I'm not. You took my hand and you'll get me another one. We'll talk about it some other time. You think I'll forget about it, don't you? Don't you? Oh, I, I won't. I say I'm going to have another hand and I will have one. And what's more, you're going to help me get it, do you hear? You're going to help me. I was able to get up and around a few days later. I didn't talk to anyone if I could help it. Because somehow I couldn't ever look at their faces, only their hands. Big hands and little ones, long-fingered ones and stubby ones. Yes, they each had two hands, and I... I, to whom my piano meant more than life, had only one. Then, sitting alone one evening, I met Hook. I looked up, and there he was, a small, slight, sharp-featured man. Hello. Nice evening. Yes, I suppose it is. Hey, you mind if I sit down for a couple of minutes? No. I uh, wouldn't usually bust in on anybody except... Well, I'm getting out of here tomorrow, and I feel pretty good about it. Oh, what was wrong with you? A uh, bad heart. You're going to have to take it easy from now on. It's going to make it kind of tough in some ways, but... Uh, you don't happen to have a cigarette on you, do you? Mm. Oh, yes, I do have. It's a... There... Well, at least I did have a silver cigarette case. I can't seem... Is, uh... Find... Is it? What? Oh, yeah. Where did you find it? In your pocket. You mean you, you took it? Uh, my name's Harris, Joe Harris. You usually call me the hook. Uh, oh. This is my racket. Or you rather, it was until I... Your pickpocket. Uh, well, one of the best in the business. But now with my ticket going bad, I guess I'll have to lay off, except like now for a gag. <laughs> you didn't mind, did you? Mine? <laughs> Certainly not. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, as a matter of fact, do you mind if I look at your hands? Look at it? What for? Beautiful. As beautiful a pair of hands as I've ever seen. It occurs to me that you... You say that you don't know what you're going to do when you leave the hospital here. Well, I just hadn't thought about it much. Why? I've got a proposition that might... It just might possibly interest you. No kidding. What? Well, I'd rather not discuss it with you here and now, but I expect to be leaving here myself on Friday. If you'd like to come and see me sometime after You that, say where and when? Well, I've been staying at a little cottage on Dr. Martin Trent's estate. I'll probably be going back there. How about... Uh, Saturday night, late, around 11.30. Fine. Okay with me. Then it's a date. I left him there, hurried back to my room. I wanted to be alone. Had to be alone, for I was afraid that what was on my mind might show in my face. It certainly was a date. A date with death. A man obsessed, half mad and his unsuspecting victim. Will both of them still be alive to hear it when the clock strikes 12 for... Murder! Murder! 
listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now, back to Radio Rarities. And now, here is Roger Blaine to continue... Murder at Midnight. I did leave the hospital on Friday. Went back to the little studio cottage. By Saturday night, my arrangements were completed. They weren't very complicated. I made it clear to Lorna and Martin that I wanted to be alone. And I picked up a length of iron pipe. The pipe I hid inside the piano when I heard footsteps coming down the path. There was a knock on the door. Come in. Hi. Not too late, am I? No, you're not too late. Hey, pretty nice place you got here. Yes, it is quite nice. Sit down. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Now, what's this here proposition you want to talk to me about? It's a very simple one. How would you like to make $10,000? <laughs> what do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. Just sell me something. Your left hand. What? <laughs> Are you nuts? No, I'm serious. I've got the money right here, in cash. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand. Look, I'm a musician. I'm a pianist. Or I was until I lost my hand. If I can't go on playing, then life doesn't mean anything to me, my own life or anyone else's. But you, how important is your hand to you now? An artificial one will do almost as well. And you can live for quite a while on $10,000. You mean you... Really thought I'd sell you my hand? Let you cut it off? I'm getting out of here. Look, wait. Wait, nothing. I said you was nuts, but I didn't really think... What are you going to do with that? No. No, don't. You can't. Some way. Somehow I'll get you for this. I swear. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry. But I have to have it. I'd rather not go into what happened after that. I I got rid of the body. And then I went to see Martin. You don't look well, Roger. Anything the matter? No, I just came to see you about your promise. My promise? Oh, your debt, whichever you choose to call it. I told you I wanted another hand, that I was going to get another hand, and that you were going to help me. Well, now you can help me. What? What do you mean? Look in here. 
from this package. See? Good, good Lord. Where, where did you get this? It might be better if you didn't ask too many questions. I'm fighting for my life, for more than my life. You took my hand away from me. Well, now you can give me this one. You mean you honestly, seriously think that I can perform an operation of this sort, do a graft, and that after I'm finished, you'll be able to use the hand? Why not? Operations of this sort have been done, haven't they? With other parts of the body? The eye? The cornea, not the eye. And some nerve grafting has been done. But this... Look, Roger. I know what a shock this whole thing has been to you. Know it better than you. You're, you're not a well man. <laughs> a well man? I'm only half alive, and I'd rather be dead than go on living this way. But if I do die, I won't die alone. That's why I brought this along. Roger, a gun. Quick, easy, painless. If you won't do what I want, you die. And so does Lorna. Both of you, along with me. You, you don't give me very much choice. No. All right. You win. Get me the hospital. Even before I became fully conscious, before I opened my eyes, I knew, knew that it had been done, that it wasn't his hand anymore, but mine. And still, there was something wrong. I couldn't analyze what it was at first, but it was there. A feeling that something wasn't quite right. That perhaps... It wasn't entirely my hand. I sat up. The hand was a mass of bandages, stiffened with splints. And inside the bandages... Careful, Roger. Don't touch them. Huh? Oh, Martin, I didn't see you. I've been here with you ever since last night. Last night? You mean I, I've been out that long, 24 hours? It was very important that you keep quiet. You've been under sedation. Oh, oh yes, of course. But this isn't the hospital. No, I brought you home with me, back to the house. Oh. I thought it would be best for several reasons. Oh, that's very smart, Martin. We don't want any questions, do we? Not yet. You did do it, didn't you? What? Uh, oh, uh, oh yes. I knew you would and could. And it's going to work. It is working. I can feel it. Please, Roger. You must be careful with that bandage. Hmm? You can't touch it, move it, disturb it in any way. I won't, Martin. But I don't have to. I tell you, I can feel the fingers moving, even inside this. And in another week or so... We'll see. Yes. We'll see. Got a cigarette, Martin? Of course, I have it right. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm? What is? Well, a cigarette case. It was right here in my breast pocket. I... I must have left it downstairs with the hospital. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I can do it. Without... Martin. Yes? I... I think... Here. This here. Here it is. Under my pillow. What? How did it get there? I don't know. It must have fallen out when you bent over. But... No. Why are you looking like that? Because I think I know how it did get under my pillow. What do you mean? When fingers learn something, a special skill, they don't forget it, ever. Mine never have. Even when I'm not thinking of what I'm doing, they go on playing by themselves. These fingers here, they haven't forgotten either. 
Do you understand? Irma, forget it. Forget it. I'm awfully tired all of a sudden, Martin. Would you mind? No, Roger, I'd like you to get as much rest as possible. There's a friend of mine coming here tomorrow to see you. Another doctor. That's fine, Martin. I'll see you in the morning. Yes, I was tired, but that wasn't why I asked Martin to go. This is because I wanted to be alone, because I had to be alone. Because I knew now what it was that I'd only sensed before. The hand. Hook's hand had a will of its own. It had picked Martin's pocket without my even being aware of it. I lay there alone in the darkness after Martin went, not touching the bandages, but flexing the fingers, forcing them to obey my will. I had to do that. I knew I had to do it because I suspected what might happen. And what did happen proved that I was right. I fell asleep finally. And while I was asleep, I dreamed... I dreamed I was walking down a dark, labyrinthine corridor somewhere under the earth. Then... A little closer, Roger. Huh? Just a little closer. Who's there? Who's there? Just me. Waiting for you. Hook! Yeah, Hook. I said I'd get you. No, well... Out of the darkness came a hand that clutched me by the throat, gripped it tighter, tighter, tighter... I fought against it, tried to scream, and woke up. Yes, I woke up, and my waking was more horrible than the dream, for the hand was there, gripping me by the throat, moaning, exerting every ounce of my strength and will. I fought it off and pulled it down. I lay there, bathed in a cold sweat, staring at it. Feeling the fingers quivering inside the bandages. My hand or his, I was tied to it now. Tied to a thing that was seeking to destroy me. Shaking convulsively, I leaped out of bed. I ran out into the hall and down the stairs to the living room. The piano. That was the one thing that might save me, save my reason. Seating myself at the piano, I started to play. Using only my right hand at first. When I tried to force left hand, his hand, to join in. Then suddenly... No, Roger. No. That won't work. Yes. No music. Stop it. Stop it. Do you hear it? It's my hand now. It's mine. No, Roger. Never. But it is. I'm stronger than you are. Nothing is stronger than I am. Nothing in the world. And there's no escape. Because we're one now, Roger. And wherever you go, I'll be there, too. It's not true. It's not. What... What are you doing? Just a little closer no. to the desk, Roger. No, no. A little closer. That paper knife. No, you can't. But I can, Roger. I told you I'd get you somehow. Some way. Put it down. Drop it. You can't fight against me, Roger. I told you. I'm too strong. Martin! Lana! Quick! Save me! Is. Where is he, Martin? The living room. I heard the piano and. Good, good Lord. Roger! He's dead. Why? How? He was saying something about a hand. He was in a completely psychotic state as a result of shock and a sense of guilt. The state psychiatrist was coming tomorrow to commit him. Oh, Martin. That hand he brought me wanted me to graft on. I. I don't know where he got it. 
But I suspect that was behind the whole thing. Behind it? Yes. What do you mean? You don't really think I did graft it on, do you? Why? He was desperate and I had to do something to quiet him. I splinted his left wrist, wrapped it in bandages, and told him not to touch them. But, Martin, that paper knife in his chest. Which hand is holding it? His right one, his good one. Yes. And still, in a way, it's possible that the dead hand, the one he was so concerned about, did guide it. Her eyes wide with awful comprehension, Lorna stares at her husband, then down at Roger Blaine's body as, somewhere in the silent house, a clock starts chiming for murder at midnight. Remember to be with us again when death stretches out his bony hand and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight is directed by Anton M. Leader. Carl, so it really wasn't the hand, but Roger's mind finally snapped. Barry Kroger gave an outstanding performance as the tormented Roger. None of the cast were credited in this episode. Betty Kane was heard as Lona. At that time, she was married to Raymond Edward Johnson, who we all know as Raymond from Inner Sanctum. The other actors in this Murder at Midnight episodes were Barry Hopkins as Dr. Martin and Frank Reddick as Hook. Both were heard on numerous network shows. Frank Reddick had played the Shadow when he was the narrator of stories adapted from the Shadow magazine in the 1930s series. The narrator of Murder at Midnight with that great booming voice was Raymond Morgan. Well, Carl, we've heard stories of folks studying law or business and then being bitten by the acting bug, but Morgan was a former Long Island minister who changed careers to become an actor. After listening to his role on Murder at Midnight, his sermons must have been quite an experience. In addition to Murder at Midnight, Morgan also had roles in Gangbusters and in the soap opera Right to Happiness. The first station to broadcast Murder at Midnight was KFI in Los Angeles in May of 1946. The program was profiled in the Los Angeles-based fan magazine Radio Life. It was unusual for a syndicated series produced in New York to get such press on the West Coast. This was great publicity for Lewis Cohen, but for some reason, he was not cited in the profile. Nor was the world broadcasting system, which recorded the shows in their New York studio. But author Robert Newman was included in the Radio Life piece as the chief scripter. 
A dozen authors wrote scripts for Murder at Midnight, in which a total of 52 episodes were recorded during 1946. In addition to their initial pay for writing each script, the authors were also given a percentage of the series' profits. Lewis Cohen is to be commended for taking care of his writers in this manner. And regarding the writers, Carl, many were recycled scripts that had been used successfully on other shows, such as Inner Sanctum, Suspense, and the Mole Mystery Theater. The series was aired on a hundreds of stations in the U.S. and Canada for numerous sponsors. It was a financial success for the Cohen firm. The critics had much praise, including Sid Weiss, who remarked, for sheer psychological suspense, we'll match it with anything now on the air. It's powerful stuff aimed for the late trade, and if you liked Arch Obler's Lights Out series, wait till you get near full of this. Cohen had the series for about a decade and then turned it over to Harry S. Goodman, who distributed it for several more years. Cohen would go on to create many more successful programs, including RFD America, Cloak and Dagger, and a Tommy Dorsey disc jockey show. He also created Stop the Music and for television, The $64,000 Question. Cohen was president of CBS Entertainment during the late 1950s. He would later hold prestigious positions at both Columbia University and Brandeis University. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Gastella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present a series with characters created by author Earl Stanley Gardner. Nope, it's not Perry Mason, but it's private detective Christopher London from 1950. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.